my two homeboys, their brothers, they were already at Howard. Brothers like they're black or brothers like they're related? Brothers like they're related. <laughs> My own. <laughs> I was nervous. Can you do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Hey, everybody. Christopher Talon, host of this podcast, Creative Ops. It's a podcast for creative people by creative people. And the creative person that I talked to this time is Alexis Flakes. And that's whose voice you just heard. <laughs> that's from later in the interview when she was saying that she couldn't obtain press passes to an event, so she made her own and got in that way. <laughs> hey, sometimes you do what you gotta do. Alexis is a creative now in Harlem, originally from the same town as me. We both went to the same high school, Okemos, Michigan. Alexis is a digital media creator, producer, editor, and also the host of her own creations. She's been on red carpets. She's done pop-up activities and events for health engagement in the community. She's just uh, an all-around go-getter, interesting, creative person. She came on the show to share what she hopes Will, well, here, I'll just tell you in her words. This is what she hopes you take from this interview. I want this to change your behavioral patterns. I want this to add another bullet point of things that are going to get done today because this is a part of what your large dreams pertain to. So that's Alexis, and she's going to be high energy, motivational, and fun to listen to the entire time. Before we get into the interview with her, though, I want to point out right up front. It's a long interview, and if you don't stick around for the last few minutes, you might not find out where you can catch Alexis. So I'm going to plug it now. You can find me at www.alexisflakes.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Flakes Like Frosted. All right. At Flakes Like Frosted. Like Frosted Flakes. That's easy to remember. Oh, man, she should get into marketing. Oh, wait a second. She does that. She does a lot of things. She's a digital creator. She's a host. She's a health instructor. She does things in the community. She does things professionally. She's just a, a really cool, all-around, go-getter, creative-type person, which is why I had her on the show. Thank you, Alexis, for coming on the show. Thank you for listening to the show right now. I hope you tell somebody about it if you enjoy it. And please, by all means... Feel free to follow Alexis, get in touch with her if you ever got something you want to work on, or if you just need some inspiration, because like I said, she is ready to go all the time, just one of those super motivated people that, uh, she is a motivational poster. She is by herself a motivational poster. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. All right, folks, before we uh, waste any more of your time here, here is my interview. The first 40 minutes or so is mostly us talking about background, uh, information about her, and then from that point on, about 40 minutes in, we start really getting into what she does and how she does it and how she got into it and yada, 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 yada. So enjoy it, folks. Alexis Flakes, and look her up on Instagram, at Flakes Like Frosted. Here's the interview. 
maybe that we're from the same town. Well, you guys moved into Okemos. I was I was born there, but you've essentially, you know, were raised there, right? That is correct. So living in New York City now, mm-hmm. nobody in New York City, no shade, but like they are not concerned about most things outside of New York City. <laughs> like right, right. There's, there's this like a uh, fake map online where it's like this is how people in New York from New York think about the rest of the world. It's like New York is like the biggest thing, and then there's everything else, the South, and then a dot, right? Like that's how everything else is. So, I when I introduce myself, I let people know I'm from Lansing, Michigan, and very seldomly, I'm, I want to think maybe like twice in my adult life have I gone on to make sure somebody understands I'm actually I graduated high school from Oklahoma, and it maybe because they're from Michigan and maybe would have heard of yeah. Okemos, but just for um, any type of recognizable situation, right? Most people, unfortunately, don't recall that Lansing's the capital. So I remind yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, they, I, I know. I When I was in the Navy, almost everyone was like, Detroit's the capital, right? I'm like, no. Exactly. I'm like, no, Stephanie Lansing. But to answer your question, yes, I was born and raised in Lansing, Square Hospital. We lived on the south side, right by Dwight Rich Middle School. And oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right over there off of Pleasant Grove. Um, uh-huh. And I loved it over there. I remember, like, childhood memories thinking, like, I just love my backyard and playing. And then it seemed like out of nowhere, we were moving. And it was, like, a big deal. My parents were really excited. I was in the third grade uh, when mm. we moved. And so, yeah, you know, I switched elementary schools and that was a, a nice culture shock uh, for me. But yeah, yeah, I'm really from Lansing and then third grade, moved to Okemos and graduated from Okemos High School and then the beyond. Well, especially then when, I don't know what Okemos looks like, uh, you know, if you were to do a, a racial makeup of the school now, but at the time when I went there, it was like, there was like two tables at lunch of black people and everybody else was white with just a little bit of like Asian and Indian kind of sprinkled in. Was that about accurate. the same for you or? Very accurate. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah. Was, was, was it weird to go from a, a, a classroom of seeing plenty of people who looked like you to being like maybe the only one or one other kid in there? Yeah. And I, it would take me to be an adult to really kind of understand and, and reckon with myself internally on what that experience was like, what it actually was and, you know, how yeah. that shaped who I am. So my school in Lansing was called Hope Academy mm-hmm. and uh, Malcolm X went to that school when he lived in oh, really? Lansing. And the latter part, there's a an extension that was named uh, Shabazz, right? Yeah. Yeah. Over there. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, my classroom was really diverse. It was a Christian school, right? And so, you know, like I I didn't under I didn't understand or really know race back then before mm. third grade. It was like yeah. our our population again was real diverse. It was a lot of, you know, uh people of color. Um some people uh, have brown hair, some people have yellow hair, some people have white skin, some people have black skin. Yeah. And even though I don't remember, I, I didn't have a I, I had one black teacher from K through twelve. Right. Mm. Like in any school, I didn't really have black professors until I got to college. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it was just a thing in Michigan, just in general, a lot of the predominantly black schools, even the one that I worked at, it was almost all white people that were on the teaching staff. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah, it wasn't reflective maybe in the staff, but as far as students, what I was worried about as a kid, right. Lots of people played mm. with like 
there there wasn't that stigma. Like I I had a real innocent childhood where we didn't yeah. have to worry about stuff like that. And for that part, I'm grateful. And then mm-hmm. even the transition into alchemist, right? And yes, being the singular only black girl in my class, right? Um, and that being something that would uh, hold consistent, you know, throughout a lot of my experiences. I, you know, there are sprinkles of other black folks. You might catch a friend here and there in class, but even that, I. I think in my mind they probably separated us intentionally right like I didn't have a lot of counterparts like in class with me and I like to look at the silver lining and the positive of all scenarios and situations right and what I can say about that is uh it prepared me for working environments because I am very familiar with being the only person of color in different spaces and how to navigate that how to socially, you know, engage. And uh, like some of your other guests have talked about, not take offense to things, having to explain things, having that type of patience, wanting to, you know, understand understand people's character versus uh, just taking everything at face value. But then also learning how to navigate and understand when people are biased and are going to be biased towards you, no matter how nice or what you do, right? Being able to understand that, like that's a, navigation tactic you got to understand that in a couple seconds to, to be yeah. safe out here so yeah yeah for sure and there was things that you know growing up in okamas and being a a straight white male you know it's pretty easy ticket in life i guess right but um when uh when i started hanging out with well when i started hanging out with your sister like when i was upperclassman in high school we went out in a large group of people it was me a dude named mark we were the only two white people but mark you know he they they all considered Mark a brother. <laughs> Mark with a C, not a K. Yeah, 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 yeah. With I the red hair. Him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Russian parents, and that dude was a straight up G. Yeah. yeah. E- Do you remember EJ? Wasn't he really good friends with oh, EJ? Oh yeah. 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 I yeah. yeah. Um, there was a group of probably close to 10, 10, 11, 12 of us all together. Me and Mark, everybody else was black, and Mark was, you know, dressed the part for it anyway. Um and we didn't get seated. A group of people who came in behind us got seated. Then another group of people that came in behind us got seated. And then finally, we just got up to leave. And we're like, all right, fuck this. And they're like, oh, oh, we got a table for you now as we're getting ready to leave. We're like, okay. And then our bill comes when the thing's all done. And we all put our money together. And somebody forgot that they didn't have money. So we ended up being, I'm not even kidding you, it was 15 cents short on our bill. But it was at Denny's on Friday night, Saturday night. Everybody from our high school was there. I walked up to a table and I was like, well, you know, my friend's at this table. I'm just going to go ask them for a dollar. They go, no, you don't bother other customers. Sit down. We're like, okay, sit back down. we wait a couple of minutes and the police show up. (gasps) They called the police on a group of mostly black teenagers who were 15 cents short on the bill. And we're like, we can pay it. We're just going to go borrow money from our friends. And they're like, no, you're not. We're calling the police. And the police were like, you have friends here that will lend you the money and i walked up to a guy i was like hey man can i borrow five bucks just to cover this 15 cents and then leave a tip he's like oh yeah dude for sure we put the money down and the police officer's like well it seems like that's settled then and then the person from denny's was like oh that's all you're gonna do and just stormed off and we're like okay well i guess we're not going to denny's anymore but that was the first time i've experienced anything like that you know what i mean anything and it took me till i was 18 to to see what other people have been saying like it's not easy being a black person, especially in a mostly white area. And before that, I was just kind of like, really? What, what's so bad about it? Not like, not, not in a antagonistic way, but just like, I genuinely don't know what's so bad about it. And that, that one experience brought it all into perspective pretty fast. Yes. I'll share 
I, I only started talking about this experience recently. I recanted this to my, or I, I was saying this to my friend um, in Atlanta earlier this year, right? I was uh, talking about this story and this is third grade. So I'm, I'm new on the playground, right? Yeah. And uh, I really don't know what my teacher's intention was. I like to think that it was positive and I'll just stay there. But I'll, again, I'll pretense with this, this with I'm, not 100% sure. So mm. take this story back to the 90s, right? And uh, something that was going on in the 90s that you see now is on most plastic bags, you see that disclaimer that says this is not a toy, mm. right? Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. Uh, there had been some cases of children suffocating themselves from uh, the wrappers or plastic bags, things of that nature. Like it had been a big news headline enough for mm-hmm. my third grade self to know and remember, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we had a really large playground in my elementary school at, in Oakland, right? It was, it was dope. And, you know, it was surrounded by a neighborhood. So there wasn't really a lot of crime or like things like that. But every once in a while, you might get some litter from, you know, like maybe some teenagers, whatever, like some bottles, some trash bags, whatever. Something fell it's out like, and blew down the street. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. So this particular day. Uh, there was a uh, plastic bag, like a Meyer bag, grocery store bag, and uh, two little boys who so happened to be white wanted to play a game. Mind you, the game I had to play every day was defend myself from everybody trying to touch my hair. As you can see now, and for our audio viewers who might not be able to see, I have a blonde mohawk, and uh, <laughs> this is not the beginning of my hair journey. I've had every color, style, texture, length. You know, <laughs> anything you can imagine, it's been on my head, right? And my uh, my desire for uh, changing my hair at my leisure began as a young child. So, I, you know, my mom was big on that. We used to get our hair done, this and that, cool. And mm-hmm. that was a real big transition from my, you know, Christian elementary school into Oklahoma. It was like, oh, who's this black girl? And what's up with her hair? Like, can we touch her hair? Because, mind you, we got, me and my sister, we both had perms growing up. So my hair is, like, long and flowy, but it still looks different from theirs, right? It still has, like, yeah, a yeah. coily, kinky texture. So that was always a thing. Can I touch your hair? And I'd always be like, no. And nobody would ever take my no as a yes. And I would have to, like, run away and defend myself and, like, back people up. Like, no, you actually cannot touch me. Now, I can imagine a child telling me that now I'd be like, get them right. Like that's not, <laughs> you cannot do that. But yeah. when I'm growing up, that's a regular game. Nobody's worried about how I feel about trying to tell every, like, I mean, everybody in the class, it was like, I felt like it was everyone against me. You know how we had those shirts that say Detroit versus everybody. It was yeah. the whole third grade versus Alexis, right? Like <laughs> I want to touch your hair. And I'm like, nah, right. So this is an everyday occurrence. But this particular day, when this trash bag so happens to be on the playground, these two little boys decided they was going to get me that day, right? They run, chase me, they got me. I'm, I didn't run track, but I'm fast, let me tell you. They got me, they tackled me, we on the ground wrestling. They get this bag and they put it over my head and hold it closed. And I'm acting a fool, obviously, because I'm aware I can die. Like, this is suffocation. Like, yeah. not okay, right? So I scream and kick and cry enough to make sure they back off. I know exactly who they are. I see them and I'm I'm hysterical. And the teacher finally like sees and comes over to me, right? So I'm crying, my face is wet, like the bag is on the ground. I had ripped a hole in it to like breathe, right? 
I'm huffing, I'm puffing, and I'm like, it was them. I'm telling, I'm telling the teacher their name. I'm like, they're right there. They ran off snickering. I'm like, yeah, they are. And I remember my my words were being, get them in trouble, go get them. Like you saw what they did. <laughs> like help me. Yeah. She got, she got down right because I'm I've always been petite. Imagine third grade me. I'm very <laughs> right. She gets down to her both her knees right, and she takes her hands and she puts them around my shoulders. So she has me like secure and locked in and she looks me in my eye and she says, no, I'm not going to get them in trouble. She picked up the bag. She dusted my back off and said, go play. That was it. If that story would have been reversed in any, in any of the characters, in anything, it would have been completely different. I can't imagine uh, a little black boy doing that to a little white girl. You would not mm. be at school the next day. You would you yeah. would be suspended. I can't, what? But it's it's allowed. Like she completely allowed it. Like and the reason why I say I I want to I want to give her the benefit of the doubt, but I really don't know, is because looking back at that story as an adult, what I'm what I'm thinking if I'm her, right? Because I I am an educator. So, you know, I understand the plight of, you know, wanting to, you know, be there and, you know, offer a safe and secure learning environment for your students. Right. Mm. So what I want to think is that she was looking to prepare me for, you know, future events and wanted to facilitate a place where I would have to calm myself down and, you know, use my own wherewithal and resolve to work through it, which is actually what happened, right? I want to think that because I want to think positively. Yeah. However, I do have to consider that this is what she knew. This is what she thought was appropriate. And because of that, she made a specific decision to not take any further action because if you think this is, if you really think in your mind that this is okay, there's no further action to take. Yeah. I don't want to think that, but I do have to acknowledge that, that that may be a possibility. However, I would continue on and I made it through the third, fourth and fifth grade and on to graduate. So it wasn't like it stopped me, but you see yeah. like, you know, your experience, you got to high school before you could really, before you could really like grapple and understand and have a scenario situation. This is my first semester on the playground, third grade. Yeah. I walked in and it was like, it was like I instantly a little knew. kid and a little, little kid at that too. Like yeah. if you're facing physical violence and you're a small girl, then that's probably twice, five times more horrifying. Yeah. I just knew instantly. It was like a light bulb came on. I was like, oh, this is black. I understand black and white. This right here. The difference is clear to me. There's, there's not a lot of ambiguity anymore. So yeah. yeah. Hmm. It's funny too, because. I always considered myself kind of an outsider in in uh, in Okemos culture just because my parents did, you know, okay, but they they had a, a modest size house. They drove modest cars and, you know, they didn't have huge incomes. So people were like, hey, you want to come with us on the ski weekend? I'd be like, hey, can I go? And my parents were like, can't afford that. Like, so I was like, oh, you know, and then I started actually losing friends the older we got because they're like, hey, we're all going to go to this place and we're all going to go spend a weekend here. I'm like, I can't afford that shit. Okay, I guess you're just not coming. Bye. <laughs> not to say that those two experiences are <laughs> like right here with each other. I think about that, and I think that's interesting too because another another interesting thing, another you know scenario that has set me up, I think, for success in life. Right, the first in me 
being in situations with mostly white people and understanding how to personally navigate that. I think that's like the first blessing. And second, I think that a lot of times with or without knowing there's a class divide between white folks and black folks, especially in areas like Okemos, right? Where it's Mm. like, oh, I'm not, you know, it's not a racial thing. It's just like, this is the level that my income, this is the level of lifestyle that my income provides me. And this is just kind of like what we do, right? Mm. And what I can say about my parents and, you know, moving to the suburbs is that we we really did the whole thing. We moved to the suburbs in the, you know, the house in the subdivision. Mm. And that was, that was something that white folks could never hold over me. Like, it might not be anything they say out loud, but even like little things, like, I don't know if it was like this for you, but we're the school bus off. The majority of the kids of color would get off at this particular stop because they were apartments and that's where most of them lived, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you didn't live there, you know, you were on the bus longer and it took another 20-ish minutes to get out to where the rest of the houses were, right? Mm-hmm. And the bus driver and all the other kids would always make note that I don't live there. Like I live in the real suburbs in the houses next to, you know, the rest of my classmates, right? And so I think even that has... I've been able to play that to my benefit because my parents never made a big deal about where we live. I I didn't know until I got to college that I had a really solid middle-class upbringing. I completely didn't know that. Yeah. People outside of Okemos, they're just like, you're from Okemos. Oh, you're rich. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, yeah. I really didn't know. I, yeah. I, I just it's a bubble. It's a bubble. You don't really know unless you're outside of it yeah. and get enough exposure. But you know, you, like you said, you moved when you were in third grade. I don't really remember much of my third grade. <laughs> or anything before it you know what I mean a little bit yeah but like I I remember like different scenarios where they would you know make little comments about other kids of color like their their clothes or their shoes or where they live or things like that and couldn't nobody ever say anything to me because y'all know where I live like y'all know what time it is right and so not to give myself any kind of false sense of pride because money don't make or break you we we can all agree on that but I think yeah, there's plenty of assholes that nobody can stand that have a ton of money. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I think that when you're when you're growing up and developing and you have a whole group of people who's the majority and you're the minority and they can hold different things over you mm. that can eat away at your subconscious, your self confidence, yeah. Right. And yeah, without sure. you knowing because you're young and you're still developing. What I'm suggesting is that it was still a lot of things that, you know, people could poke and mess with, but that's not one of them. And, you know, I I think that's important because a lot of black folks in my adult life have come across and they clam up around, you know, white folks or, you know, say that they don't want to be in scenarios where they're the only one. And, you know, I think that's unfortunate because we have to, you know, put ourselves in different scenarios. But the reason behind it is because they've always been made to feel less than because of the scenarios that they have found themselves in the past. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. saying like that because of my my parents and the lifestyle that they provided for me, my sister, we had lots of issues, but that wasn't one of them. And, you know, I'm I'm glad to you know, to kind of have that because you you don't want to be the, you know, the one who is always has the short stick or the one that the joke is always about or, you know, yeah. to always be poked at or made to feel a certain type of way. So, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm, at least, I'm at least glad for that, not for the financial side, but for the 
you you can't have everything. Like there are, you know, other people that have means for a lifestyle that may not look like you. And that's okay. Like I like that we were kind of able to break that mold. Like all black people don't look like this and just do this. There are other things that incorporate who we are and what our life looks like. So, yeah. Yeah. Just one more story and then we'll kind of get off a different topic here. But um, I went to go visit uh, Ashley's friend Lynn when she was at Florida A&M and we went to a football game and there was one dude in the marching band for anybody that doesn't know Florida A&M is a Great school, historically black college, HBCU. university, HBCU. Um, <clears throat> and uh, there was one guy in the marching band at halftime that was white. And he had symbols and the symbol guys all had to like put their symbols up and like do like that. But this dude did not look good doing it. And oh. he already probably felt bad because everyone in the crowd was black. Everyone else in the band was black. And everyone was just started pointing like, look at the white boy. <laughs> but then one person goes, hey, and then points at me. And this dude goes, oh, I'm sorry, bro. I was like, well, I mean, he is a bad dancer, but yeah. That's great. That's great. Oh, that's a good story. So right out of the gate, you leave Okemos, you go to Howard, which is Washington. That's in Washington, D.C.? Correct. Did you specifically, was there something about Howard? Was there something about going to a historically black college or both? Yes. So I remember the antithesis like when I'm fixing to graduate high school I'm, I'm gonna tell you Chris my only goal my prayer every day was God I just want to get into a good college and get yeah. out of Michigan was <laughs> <laughs> my only goal I, I have to leave here there's nothing yep. here for me I gotta go right yeah uh so the, I I always wanted to leave yeah and I, I got out but I ended up back just in a different town in a different town right yeah uh, but yeah, I love Michigan and I visit often and I rep it uh, all the time. But I'm I'm glad that my life's journey has led me other places. So mm. um, I it's knew a good I place wanted... to be from, I say. Yes, it's a great place to be from. Like you got a good education. You were safe. You probably played sports and had a good time. And then all real that. life. Yeah. All that. Yes. Great place to be from. Great place to raise a family. I'm not even gonna lie to you. I would not have picked it for myself. I remember thinking as a young child, like before we got to Oklahoma, like, why are we from here? Like, why do we live here? <laughs> like, I'm watching the Cosby show and I'm, they, they have their stoop and stuff. I'm like, why do I live there? Like, I wanted to audition for stuff, right? Like, yeah. yeah. But looking back, no, parents, y'all get an A plus. That's a good place to be from, right? Good, hmm. solid, holistic Midwestern values, right? <laughs> uh, but um, I knew that. I just knew I knew a couple of things and Howard fit all my criteria. And what I can say is we all make different decisions that, you know, um, lay out the trajectory of our life. I couldn't have known when I was making that decision at 15, 16, because I, I left at 17. Mm. Uh, I couldn't have known like how big of a decision or how much it would impact my life. But I'm getting chills right now thinking about it. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to God and the universe for guiding me in that direction, because I know without a shadow of a doubt, that was the right decision for me. Howard was it for me. Like everything I was looking for, it had, like, I felt like I was looking for my life to start. I felt like I was looking to make my own decision and kind of pave my own way. And Howard as an introductory into adult life, you know, mm-hmm. was really, it was really just a good fit for me, who I am, my personality and where I was looking and where I, I'm still going. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, I know I wanted to leave Michigan and I, I always wanted to live in New York, but I also knew that I was in a bubble. 
because I was able to do, you know, some traveling uh, throughout high school, whether it be in the orchestra, going to Germany, being with my grandma. My grandma was always taking us on a church trip somewhere, yeah. right? Like we we were able, you know, to go different places, experience things. So I didn't under quite understand the bubble, but I knew I was in some kind of bubble, right? So yeah. I was, you know, looking to, you know, expand from that and study business uh, be in a metropolitan city and DC just, again, it just worked out because I figured that I might not quite be ready for New York. I, again, couldn't gauge how naive I was and I probably still am a little green and wet behind the ears. Right. Uh, but I knew like a stair, I wouldn't even call it stair step city because DC is its own like thing, but nothing is like New York. So I knew like being out of Michigan and in a, you know, big city, prior mm. to getting to New York, right? I knew yeah. that was going to be um, beneficial for me. And like- Yeah, because I'm know, thinking if you just picked up straight from Okemos and moved right into Harlem, that would- Did you imagine? <laughs> that'd, be a rough, that'd be a rough couple of weeks. <laughs> right, I don't know. I don't know how that would have worked out. Like I might I might have had to go back home. Like it, it yeah. might not have worked out the way I imagined, right? So exactly. DC was a good, you know, starting place as far as like leaving Michigan and wanting to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and Howard had my program. And that's what I look to advise students in their transition into college life. Like make sure your school has your program. And even if you don't have your major picked out, have an idea because, mm -hmm. you know, Howard is renowned for their business school. And I knew I was going to be a business major. So it just, you know, some things, you know, um, lined up for me. So yeah, that's, that's how I decided and that's how it worked out for me. But I have a good friend. He went to Michigan State, right? We grew up together. He yeah. went to, he graduated from Everett, right? And his his parents and my parents are still really close. And he said to me recently, like in the past, like two years, he was like, yeah, your parents just let you go to Howard. I said, <laughs> well, you must not remember the story because that's not how it went down. This was not, oh, hey, Alexis, good job. Just go to Howard. No, it was <laughs> it was like kicking, screaming, crying. That's a whole testimony right there. Like, first of all, my parents weren't excited about me going to school out of state. My sister went yeah. to U of M. Hey, go blue, right? <laughs> um, most of my cousins went to school in state, you know, Central Michigan, Western, right? Like uh, half of my graduating class probably yours went to Michigan State. Yeah, between University of Michigan, Michigan State, Eastern and Western, maybe Central, right? Like maybe those Central. are, like, yeah, those are the top five schools. LCC, mm -hmm. that's where people went to yeah. school, right? Um, so for me to want to go out of state into Howard, a black school like that, what? Like, no, it was the beginning was a complete no. Mind you, I had been on a couple black college tours, so I've been around, you know, a few campuses, mm -hmm. and you know, like being in DC, that metropolitan city thing, that again was a big selling point. So. My parents were like so not with it that I wanted to apply out of school. They were like, well, we're only paying for your applications for in-state schools. And me, I'm like, fine. So I got a job. So I started working at McDonald's and my McDonald's money paid for my prom dress, which I designed myself and all my applications that I hey. sent in to out-of-state schools. Right. So then uh, I get accepted to. Tennessee State. Huh, and I, okay. my godmother went there, right? Go Tigers, right? And so I'm like, oh, it's HBCU. It's still my thing. I'm going to go there. I had two friends that were already, that were a year ahead of me that were already down there. I, you know, I was feeling good about it, but I hadn't heard back from Howard. And I knew deep in my heart, Howard was my number one school, but I didn't hear back from them, right? Yeah. 
so I'm talking to my guidance counselor and she's like, that's weird. Like they're going to tell you if you don't get in. I just assumed I didn't get in. She was like, no, that's not how that works. So yeah. we called that day in the office. Yeah. The couch just ghosted. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> she's like, nah, sis, like we need to follow up. So we called the admissions office. Right. And they're like, yeah, flakes. They're like, uh, we have your application, but we didn't, we have your money rather, but we lost your application. So classic HBCU, if anybody, if any HBCU are listening, y'all know how that go. I should have understood what I was getting myself into, but that's a whole different story. But anyway, <laughs> so I, I um, get all my stuff back together. I resubmit and I get into Howard. So I'm like, yes, I thought the hurdles were over. No, Chris, it wasn't over. So now I'm like, ah, I'm with it. And at first my parents were like, DC, that's the hood. No, like you are not going <laughs> down not with it. And I'm like, what? You know? And so now I'm having this like knockdown, drag out argument with my parents on I'm grown now. And y'all said college. You didn't say which college. Like, what's up? <laughs> and they really I'm surprised they were not more like just like, wow, she's really got conviction. I'm impressed. They were like, now, no, now, but then 2004, 05. No, right. No, it was not that way. So. I have to give a big shout out to um, my two homeboys, their brothers. They were already at Howard. Brothers like they're black or brothers like they're related? Brothers like they're related. Oh. <laughs> Justin, Justin, Thomas, shout out to the Thomas family. They were already at Howard and their parents know my parents. So I think that eased them over a little bit. And then some of my dad's other friends who, you know, have older kids were like, it's not that bad. She'll be okay. Yeah. So like after all that and getting accepted and paying the deposit to go to Tennessee State. I changed mm -hmm. my mind. My parents got over enough to say, okay. And at 17, we packed up all my stuff and we drove down to DC and I've, I've been living my life ever since. I guess from a parent's perspective though, I can see you got your 17 year old, as we've already mentioned, petite little girl. I would be sad about sending her to a, a big city <laughs> in a different part of the country too. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it, it worked out for me. Do you know who Roy Woods Jr. is, the comedian? Mm -hmm. I was listening to his podcast, uh, Roy's Job Fair, and this dude was talking about black colleges. I think he might have been talking about Morehouse specifically, said that they have excellent security and they've got gates. And if they see somebody on the grounds after hours when the gates are closed, they'll shoot them with rubber bullets. Was was uh, <laughs> was um, Howard that locked down on their security or not so much? <laughs> that's funny <laughs> no <Okay. laughs> we have gates yeah and we have security uh but I, they're not I, they're not lining people up with rubber bullets <laughs> no like i don't recall anybody getting guy with a rubber bullet i'm not gonna lie to he you. was talking about trying to get into it might have been a, just an all-girls school too like crawling over the gates trying to sneak into the dorms oh yeah because morehouse is right across from spelman that's that's what he was talking about okay yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was at Morehouse and he was trying to sneak onto Spelman campus or something. Yeah. It would be like that. How you be like, Howard is co-ed, praise God. Um, but no, we had, uh, we had gates and everything. We had campus security. I yeah. felt secure on campus. However, it is DC and a lot, a lot happens in metropolitan cities. Right. But sure. yeah. I, I never, I never felt unsafe on campus. That that's my experience though. Yeah. But yeah, but still, no, no rubber bullets. That's good.
It says hospitality management. Did you go into the hospitality field right away or did you kind of deviate from from the get-go? I did. So I changed my major three times and I had three different majors rather in undergrad, right? So I came in as a management major in the okay. school of business. And that was cool my freshman year. Uh, but then I said, I want to like explore more. And so I changed my major to marketing. I was like, oh yeah, marketing. Yeah out here. <laughs> so by the time I get to my junior, so I'm a marketing major, my sophomore, my junior year, and I get to the end of first semester, my junior year, and I got like a D in a marketing class. And I mm. said, dang, your GPA has to be a, at a certain rate in your major for you to graduate, mm. which means you really can't get a whole lot of anything but A's and B's in your major classes. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You can really only afford to have like one or two C's and maybe one D if you think you're fixing to graduate. Like there's not a whole lot of leeway in your major. You need to be mm. proficient, right? Understandable. Yeah, yeah. So I thought to myself, this is cool and all, but I'm not doing as well as what I need to to actually graduate. And my whole goal was graduating on time. That was like a big deal for me. Mm. I'm glad I made that. Did you have to do some like 18 credit semesters with switching majors that many times? Well, what are you talking about? Like almost every semester I'm taking 21 credits. Like I'm always <laughs> taking mad credits oh, in summer school, always stacking up on classes. The lightest semester I ever had was probably 18 credits. Oof. Yeah. You stayed in those books. Yeah, I stayed in them. And I worked in a restaurant. So sophomore year, I get my job at a restaurant and I'm mm. I'm the champion in restaurants. Like it worked out well for me. Mind you, I worked at McDonald's in high school. Yeah. So you already knew how to grind. Yeah. Um, and then I started working at this restaurant in DC in college. Right. And I was a RA. So I have lots going on in addition to like being in school and being extracurricular at school. Right. So at the end of my junior year, I'm like, if I stay as this major, as a marketing major, I'm not going to graduate on time. And that was my goal. Right. So mm. I said, you know, I had some friends in the hospitality program and I looked deeper into it. And I had like a light bulb moment. I'm at work one day, right? And my bartender asked me for a glass from the other side of the bar. And I was like, sure, right? Just give him a glass, no problem. And he said, Alexis, you're so hospitable. <laughs> light bulb. I said, it just, it clicked. I was like, oh God, like that's the answer. Like if I'm going to graduate, I need to like change my major. And I did. And then I joined the National yeah. Society of Minorities and Hospitality, which was just a great group, a great conference, just a great thing to be a part of. And summer going into senior year and then all senior year, I took my hospitality courses and was able to graduate on time with my degree in hospitality, which I'm so proud about. My homeboy, he's always, I've never met somebody who is so upfront about their major. It's almost like they meet you and you're like, yeah, I'm a hospitality major. Like I'm so ready to <laughs> tell the world. But it's that's how we are. Like most hospitality majors are that way. I met a hospitality major on Amtrak and he, he was telling me how he's hospitality major. And I was like, no, no, that's wild. But it was one of the first things he said, because that's our culture. <laughs> like, that's what we do. And so I graduated Howard in 09. Right. And if y'all remember 2008, economic mm. downturn, ain't nobody got no house. Doom, yeah. boom. Nobody Ooh. has a job. That's What a gloomy time yeah, to graduate. Nobody has a God, job, yeah. And it's like everybody was moving back in with their mamas. And I thought, Welcome yes! to the real world. It sucks. I said, I can't do it, God. I said, you didn't bring me this far. You didn't let me get to D.C. to move back to Michigan. I just can't do it. <laughs> I did this unpaid internship at a hotel. Imagine I'm still working at the restaurant. 
my my living situation was like bomb when I first graduated. I had a mentor who lived up the street from campus and he rented a whole house. It had two extra bedrooms. And so I like rented a room. So I like, you know, I had a stable place and everything like that. But to, you know, pay my rent, I was working at the restaurant and I was interning at the hotel. They ended up liking me. And so then I got a full-time front desk position and I, you know, came in the game, my professional working life at the hotel, the front desk. Cool. I quickly came to understand that I'm great at front of house services, but working the front desk is not my life's passion. It's not my life's work. There's, there has to be more life. I just, I just <laughs> didn't like it. I just knew I could and should be doing more. And yeah, you didn't, you weren't going to sleep feeling exactly. like I can't wait for and I deserve to feel like that. Like that's the life I want to live. Exactly that. Like I'm excited to get up versus I mm. can't believe I have to go here again. You know? Yeah. How many more days till the weekend? Ugh. Yeah. And then my shift was all off because I had to work. <laughs> I was the newest one in. So I had to work the 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. shift. This is the shift nobody wants because you can hang out during the day, but not really. Everybody's at work. DC closes at two. So yeah. like if you get off at 11, if you're not going straight to the club, like you're not making it. A funny kind of shift to work. I had to work all the weekends. I would have like random days during the week off and it was just not quite right for me. And so that was something that helped me in my catalyst and transition into moving to New York. question about like some red carpet stuff but we yes. we gotta we gotta work our way up to that okay what was the opportunity or the thing that just intrigued you where you were like oh I'm gonna try this that's a great question so my dream has always been to be a host a talk show host mm. and I suppressed that for a long time and I thought to myself I'm gonna make money over here and once I get enough money I'll be able to be stable and support myself. And then that'll give me the time and space to pursue being a host, right? That was always my thought. Which is the kind of the conventional wisdom is like, you should first secure yourself before you try to do anything too risky. Exactly. I think that's a great word. And I think that's a great description. And that even gives me more insight into like where my mind was at and what was actually happening because it took me a long time to understand and really decide within myself that I am just a creative. Because again, like I come from a conventional background. Mm. I was a business major. Like I really didn't see myself as a creative. You're just a good girl from the Midwest who does what you're told and tries to exceed expectations. That's it, right? Uh, but then with, yeah. you know, moving to New York and like getting to the nitty gritty of like what this grind is and goal and real real goals and dreams mm. i came to understand that i'm just i'm just not conventional and that's the reason why that method that methodology that thought process wasn't working for me because i'm over here trying to secure something then to go on to goals and dreams when in reality which is that same part of your soul that's like we got to get out of okamis yeah, yes, <laughs> we got to escape this this is not for us right in reality yeah. you just there, I'm sure there are some people who can tell you the story and how they did that. They secured whatever, and then they went after and it worked out for them. I'm sure that's mm -hmm. a thing. And God bless yeah. them. You have to go to them for that story. That's not my story. <laughs> my story is, and I've tried that. That didn't work for me. And I had to really kind of double down and reimagine, refocus on what it is I actually want and then mm -hmm. make waves in that specifically. Like, this is what you want to do. Spend your time doing that and just that, yeah. right? right? So 
to answer your question, I was doing a lot of other things from like when I first moved to New York, I was a cocktail server again, right? And I that was like my bread and butter. Um, I also explored like real estate and several different like business ventures that I like started on my own to like see how they could grow and build. And I transitioned from I, w- I moved every single year. So I'm in a different apartment like every year. And in one of those transitions, I didn't have a house to go to. So I ended up like surfing couches for a while. And my parents were really not with the shit. Like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> They were really like, ah, what's happening? Come home, go back to school. And I'm like, no, I'm a New Yorker. Right? Like, this story is actually a lot more dramatic. That's how I feel about it now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, then I, you know, figured whatever I figured out, and I moved into where I'm at now, which is my apartment in New York City, where I live alone. It is a one bedroom, and I am so happy. I'm so happy. <laughs> um, I love all my former roommates, but I love that we have a relationship and do not live together, right? Yeah. We yeah at both. a certain age, it's just, it's not as much fun to be like, hey, let's all stay up as late as we can, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So it was when I moved into here, right? I moved into this apartment in 2016. And I had a housewarming and I had a friend say to me, right. And I'm gathered with all my friends and my, my first housewarming in New York. I didn't know anybody. I I just knew my roommates. And now whenever I do an event, I have like this real eclectic group of people who will come out and support me and love me. And that is like a real gem of life. Like I'm, I'm excited that I've been able to create and cultivate that. So I'm having that experience and a homie and my housewarming is like, Alexis, like, this is a new era for you. Like you can really do what you want. Like you're manifesting your dreams. And it really kind of set with me. So I was like, in my mind, I said, you're right. You know, like this idea, I've always wanted to be a host and I've tried everything else. Like they say the internet, YouTube has told me all you need is a phone. <laughs> yeah. I ain't got no camera, I ain't got nothing, but I do have a cell phone. So because I have this cell phone, I should be able to create what I'm looking to create and at least get started. I have to get started, right? Then everything else, at least let me get started on this dream. So that's the the answer, like what was the catalyst, like moving into this apartment, having that conversation and really moving on it. And what happened was I bought a flimsy cell phone tripod mm-hmm. and I set it up and I started to record myself and I named my show. Let me find out. And my show was an interview series where I would interview my friends about the interesting things that they, uh, interesting professions that they had in hopes that the viewers would have a better understanding of a person of color who was in this field, how to get into it. And if it aligned with their personal values, right? Like just, you know, Mm -hmm. to give, you know, some insight into different career paths. That's always been my thing. I want to explore career paths. Right. So I started like doing my show and I said to myself, like, I need to edit it. Like I need to cut it together and like make it into something. And I don't, again, I I have no kind of like communication background. I'm a business major period. Right. Mm. Um, And I'm notorious for like not being the best with technology. Like my friends always (laughs) laugh at me. I always had a, you know, like I'm, I I still have an Android. I had a Blackberry back in the day. Right. Like (laughs) all this Mac stuff, like all this is like new to me. So I knew I had to like figure out some type of editing situation to like actually cut and make a show the way I envisioned. So I had a yeah. homeboy who's a he's an editor. And he he's the nicest, will help you cool kind of guy. But I do like to, I have learned in this creative process that your your exchange, it should be money. And if it's not, the barter has to be something solid. You know, yeah. like 
that's how people mess up working with friends because like y'all don't have a real clear understanding of what the exchange of value is. And that's where yeah. business figures, you know, background comes in. What is the contract? Where is the exchange of value? Like what, what are the terms and conditions? Like what are we actually doing? Right. So I'm talking to my homeboy and he was cutting me the friends and family, right? He was like, yeah, Alexis, I can do the episodes. I can do that for you, but it's going to cost like this much. And looking back, he was really hooking me up. He was, he was trying to work with me. But Chris, let me tell you, I couldn't afford that. Whatever yeah. he was charging me, I, I just couldn't afford it. So I said to myself, okay, I have to teach myself how to edit if I want to show. So mm-hmm. I did. Me and YouTube got real familiar. I bought the software. Mm-hmm. Holla at me. Anybody who's on that Adobe Premiere Pro, that Adobe Suite Life, what's up? Uh, <laughs> so uh, Creative Cloud, rather. Creative Cloud Suite. Um, so I taught myself how to edit using Premiere just through YouTube. And when I tell people yeah. that now, I'm like, what? Like, you did? Why? That's crazy. And I'm like, I didn't have any other options. Like, I was trying to do it, right? And so, then I had um, a birthday, and I'm good for a birthday launch. I had a birthday party. It was at this art gallery, and I launched my first episode, and I did an eight-episode season. And that was the beginning of me teaching myself how to edit and, like, you know, like, putting something out there. Did anything really come of that, per se? I got a couple of views. I'm out here. But, the transition into like actually working in media. The reason why I like to highlight that backstory is for anybody listening, it was me learning or teaching myself rather how to edit. That was the real game changer in my life. Right. So mm. now I'm working in education full time at the time I'm working at Columbia university. They have an elementary school and I um, would create curriculum and teach programs in their after school department. Right. Cool. So I'm doing that and it's like, it's a good look for me. Like that was a a really good experience. And a lot of things I'm doing now are building upon that. But I knew that working and teaching that capacity, again, it's not my dream. Like I'm a host, right? Like I'm yeah, yeah. doing that. So I, um, I leave there and my transition out of there into media was like really rocky. And I didn't know what my next move was going to be for a long time. Like just kind of sitting and not knowing that part is hard. And so I started going to like, I started like looking online and going to any kind of media event, black women in media, media conferences, um, after work, happy hour sessions with anybody in media, like any kind of thing I could find I would go to. I go to this one particular event. Right. And, uh, I was nervous, Chris, like the day of I was supposed to, I was, I had started to work with this outlet again. I never, nothing ever came of me working with this outlet, but they were, I had asked them to give me credentials, like any kind of like lanyard or something that had my name on it to show that I'm working with them. They never sent them. And this event, it was like the ticket again, couldn't afford it. But if you went as press, of course, you know, press passes is free because you're covering the event. Right. So I needed Mm -hmm. a press pass to go. And I thought I was going to get one. I didn't. I made my own. (laughs) I was nervous. Can you do that? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) But I was going to, I had my camera. Like, I'm still going to do what I said I was going to do. I'm making a video. But, like, it's not for any particular outlet but mine, right? So, made my own credentials. They were not checking them at the door and we're not worried about it. Praise God. But like, I was going to say, I'm just imagining you walking by there being like, yes, (laughs) I have a camera. (laughs) Lottie die. Here I am. Lottie die. I had spent, I had spent my last little bit on a camera and a laptop to be able to like, you know, continue. So that's, that's, these are my resources. That's all I got. 
<laughs> so I had camera and I went. And uh, I was so nervous, but I'm so glad because again, that day changed my life. So I go and it's like panels all day of uh, different media professionals, mostly um, it was this black women in media panel, right? Cool. And so at the end of the day, like the second to last panel, I'd been there all day shooting, right? Not knowing what I'm fixing to do with all this footage, but another story. <laughs> so I, uh, the last panel had like five young ladies on it. And one of them I recognized because I, um, I just was familiar with her. Uh, I had seen her speak in different um, events before. Um, I knew that she was the face of the griot, right? And so yeah. I just know was familiar with her. And so afterward, I do a real great panel. And afterward, you know, they're um, gathering and taking questions. You know, after the panel, you kind of have like a little powwow session with the people on yeah. it, right? Um, and so I go up to her and I'm chopping her up afterward. And I can imagine how this went now because like working in media now, like growing up on somebody just being like, I want to be a host. You and a lot of other people get out of my face. Exactly. But I, again, I'm green. I don't know. He like, yeah, I'm sure you do want to be a host next, like whatever. But I do that. I roll up on her like, I want to be a host. <laughs> right. And she's like, yeah, so nice. So non pretentious. Right. She was like, yeah, okay, that's great. However, we're not really looking for hosts right now. What we are looking for are editors. Here I go. I said, I edit, I can edit, right? And yeah. she's like, bet, send me some of your clips. Send me some things that you've edited in the past, right? And again, looking back, that little stuff, no, my editing game, praise God, is a lot better now. Uh, but <laughs> those little clips, I didn't have to like, I, there's no way to like teach yourself how to do that overnight. This has been like six months to a year of me like figuring it out, going online, buying the software, editing my own stuff, doing it again, right? And so I had a couple of clips from the show that I made up and edited myself, right? Mm -hmm. And I was able to send off to her. And so it wasn't like a one and done closed deal. We went back and forth like a few times. Like uh, I sent all my stuff off like, I said I would very uh, promptly that same day that I was doing something, right? Like, oh, I can send a quick email with my links right now. Ooh, didn't hear nothing for weeks, right? I said, dang, I went to an event. And mind you, like, I'm, I'm in a place where, again, I don't know what's going to happen next. I had left my education career and I'm looking to transition into media, but I don't know what that looks like yet. So I'm like in a real interim at this moment. So I'd been like a couple weeks and I go to an event uh that I had to buy a last minute ticket to go to and when I say this ticket broke me <laughs> I was I was mad at myself but I was getting ready to leave right before I leave out I see the same young lady she's at the event I'm like yes so I'm like hey uh, did you get my email she was like yeah god I've been out the country email me again so I was like great so email her again nothing happens uh I go to DC for a few days because my sister that year she was being honored she got nurse of the year at her hospital oh shout out to my sister nurse of the year <laughs> so i go down there to support her right and again i'm in this like really big like flux transition like i don't know what's fixing to happen for me i'm celebrating you all day sis but i gotta figure out my life right yeah. So we're down there trying to celebrate and stuff. And I get an email from somebody else in the company. And they're like, do this editing test. So I'm like, okay. So I do the test and I send it in and I don't hear anything. So I'm like, Chris, like, dang. I'm like, if you can just tell me that I'm whack, tell me I'm whack. Don't not respond. <laughs> yeah. Like, man, like. Just I break mean, it to me fast and hard. Just give it to me. 
just yeah. give it to me, right? Right? Nothing. <laughs> I would I would later come to find that that individual, they left the organization, they left the company. They years later came back, but like they left. So no wonder like my stuff always kept getting shelved, right? And so then yeah. somebody like the editor, the main editor that they, that they had there, he um he worked a lot of different capacities. He was, you know, multi-talented and he was getting ready to go be a production manager on tour with a music artist, right? And so he yeah. wasn't going to be in studio to like do some daily editing work. So they called me in for an interview, right? It's a Wednesday. I remember because I teach yoga on Wednesdays, right? So Wednesday mm. morning, it's like, yeah, we have interview slots today. Can you be here at noon? It's 10 a.m. I'm like, yep. I materialized downtown. <laughs> this interview was all of, I'll give it five, maybe seven minutes at best. This interview was well under 10 minutes. It was like, yeah, we've seen your clips. Yeah, we think you can handle it. Yeah, this might be a good scenario. And it was like, it didn't end with a we're going to call you end it with. So are you ready to shoot right now? Cause we have three segments today. Are you ready? I shot all day that day and edited a piece that same day. And that was my intro into media. I have been working in the media game ever since that was March 16, 2018. And I can say that I came in as an editor, um, doing daily editing projects. I worked up to be a producer, junior producer. Um, and the production part is more of like the, the pre, like the beginning, like getting things organized for the shoot and editing mm -hmm. is like post-production. It's like after the shoot, right? Again, my, yeah. my goal was always to be a host, right? So right. I'm as an you editor, be the person in between the two. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I came in doing this part, which is very tedious. It's challenging. It's hard. Like a lot of people, like they just don't have the patience to, to edit and like to understand the software and like pull it all together. It's like a real fundamental, like storytelling ability, right? To be able to edit, right? So mm -hmm. started there. Cool. Then, you know, pulling stuff together because I know how it's going to look in the final cut because I'm cutting it right now. I started producing. Okay, cool. Right. And I fell in love with producing. I, I'm a natural born uh, producer and I'm glad to, you know, be able to use my skills and talents in that capacity. And then, Chris, and then finally, I've been in the game a couple of years. Um, some hosting opportunities opened up here and there that I was, you know, excited to fill. But now. Yeah, I want to know about some of them specifically, too. But go ahead. Yeah. Continue. Um, but I can, I'm excited to report that now I am a weekly host. I have a weekly spot every Thursday. You can catch me on thegrill.com doing top three. It is a segment that covers the top three stories in uh, black entertainment news. It's a story. It's a segment that runs every day. I am your Thursday host. So I give the whole backstory to say, you know, I still edit, I still produce, but I am excited to have that um, consistent digital spot with that outlet. And then I also do my own special projects and my oh, own. Oh, and I just want to say that 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 the that looks really good too. Like letting people know, um, <clears throat> oh, what was it? That Tina Turner just sold her entire catalog? Yes. Yeah, you saw that. That was, that was last week's segment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you be watching. Mm -hmm. That was, I was reporting on Tina last week. That's right. Good for her, man. That's, that's some money right there. Absolutely. 50 million. Go ahead, Tina. I think she was probably doing okay, but now she's definitely doing okay. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Tina's my girl. I, I Tina, the, the musical. Um, yeah. That woman's an inspiration. Yes. I saw, I saw the musical on my birthday when it came out a few years ago. And then I came to find, I have a, um, a colleague who is, uh, the stage manager. And then the next year on my birthday, I saw him with the cast during COVID, like at a restaurant. So I have like a, 
a real like interesting um just experience with you know Tina again going to see the show and like growing up on Tina Turner music and just loving her small town girl big city dream story right yeah. so yeah that's my girl <laughs> uh okay what what is um how would you explain the griot uh i mean it's yeah how would you explain the griot to people so the griot technically is g-r-i-o for people if they're not unsure of it correct so a griot is actually a west african storyteller right Oh, okay. uh, and yeah, like that's like the original term. Uh, that's where it comes from. And the Griot, the news outlet is a black news outlet that amplifies, amplifies, amplifying black culture. There we go. That is okay. the slogan. And, that's what I was trying uh, to, trying to think of in my head. I was like, you know what? She'll know it. <laughs> yep. The Griot, amplifying black culture. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we cover everything from politics to entertainment and, um, you know, all things that affect the Black experience um, for people of the diaspora. So, you know, like, it's been a real home for me. Shout out to my Griot fam. And, you know, it's um, it's a place that it, it offers something different than other Black media outlets to me, right? Like, some are more entertainment focused, some are more hard news. I think that we have a special sweet spot in, you know, offering those things. And also there are a lot of opinion pieces, right? Like the, the people that um, they pull in to give perspective on scenarios that, you know, affect the nation, I mm. think help, help the viewers kind of rationalize and better understand their um, interpersonal feelings so we can like process better. I think that's like something specific that the Griot offers that, you know, you might not find in, you know, all the other outlets, but shout out to all the black media because, you know, that's, that's something that, you know, we need to. First and know, foremost, the Griot, but all of them. <laughs> first, first and foremost, the Griot, but shout out to all black media because we need to band together. It's a, it's a collective, you know, goal of, you know, showcasing these stories and, you know, being a, um, a circuit uh, for, uh, people to you know have an outlet to share you know what's what's really going on so yeah yeah and see some positive things about black people in media because again <clears throat> i feel like if you watch local news or you know even just regional news it, that'll be oh there was a festival there was a festival and then they'll pull up a mugshot of a black person and be like and this person raped somebody or shot somebody or you know like okay just just yeah. to remind us that black people are scary Yes. And like, you know, um, something that I'm excited to share and that I'm proud about to your point is, you know, like we offer stories on the other side of that. Like uh, when Botham Jean was murdered, we had, you know, his family on and, you know, to speak on like their perspective. You know, I think even though it's still like sad and, you know, unfortunate, the again, the thing that the Griot offers is more perspective and opinions and, you know, just the, a fuller story of what's actually happening versus the bullet points that mainstream media may offer. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Cause media in general is a very, again, I, I struggle for the word here, but it's hard enough to know if what you're getting is legitimate news anyway, but it's <clears throat> even harder to find out if you've got the full scope of it, or if it's just a very one-sided opinion, you know, that you can just know coming into it, oh, it's about this, this person's going to be upset about it or praise it just based on 
based on the headline, what's in the headline. Yeah. So was it, was, um, when you were doing the red carpet for, uh, when they see us, I had to look it up because I'm terrible at remembering song names and movie names. Yes. And show names. Uh, when you got on the red carpet for that, was that uh, via the Grio? Yes. Um, okay. The, the majority, if not all, the majority of my red carpet experiences have been uh, corresponding for the Grio. And, you know, that's that's something near and dear to my heart because I was telling this story recently. It doesn't I, get much hostier than being on the red carpet. Yeah. I'm saying, right? <laughs> like... I, uh, I teach a class to teenage girls about digital media, right? And I was telling this oh, story cool. about being, yeah, yeah. I was telling a story about being on the red carpet, my transition to getting there, right? So, you know, I was talking earlier about how, you know, I used to watch the Cosby show, Sesame Street, all these things that were based yeah. in New York City. And I always have had the desire to live here, right? And uh, I always thought to myself that I don't have to be jealous of celebrities and people who worked in limelight because I would say as a young child, like, I'm going to work with celebrities, right? Like, I... Yeah felt that in my spirit. And so being on red carpets is a direct manifestation of that. And people in the media world, they have mixed feelings about red carpets. Like it's not from the outside looking in, it's like, oh, it's glamorous. It's great. But when you're on the carpet, when you're actually doing it, like it's a lot going on. Like there, there's a lot to not like, like it's a, it's a hustle and bustle. There is no space. Like you have like your own like little square where you're supposed to stand at please like i have been literally knocked down like <laughs> you guys are all pending like farm animals all hey yes! hey will you talk to me will you, hey that's, that's it that's a <laughs> completely accurate reenactment right like it's it's so much going on um you have to uh, ask questions in um an expeditious nature because they got to keep it going down the line it's not like this nice casual sit down talk to you get comfortable pull up a chair no, yeah. none of that none of that so there's a lot of um, drama that can go along with the red carpet that, again, some of my counterparts don't enjoy. But let me tell you something, Chris. All of it's for me. All of it. <laughs> I, I can hang so tough on the red carpet. I could do. I could do a carpet every week. Let me tell you. I like. I like um, running camera from the back. I like producing from the side, and I show enough like hosted in front of the camera, right? Like I, I like all parts of the carpet. Even getting knocked down. I've been cussed out. It's been all kinds of stuff. <laughs> the scenes in these carpets and you know what i'll get right back up and i'll keep doing it because it's it's fun to me it's go ahead and tell me. us what what celebrity was the biggest asshole no i'm just kidding you don't have to throw him under the bus <laughs> no that's oh man i would never um but i, but I, I did have some people tell me uh if people that listen to the pedro the roadie episode he was like oh yeah man i roadied for um it was a like a remember the 90s like hip-hop tour or something like that and he was like this rapper this rapper and this rapper were really cool this rapper was a piece of shit this rapper was like lazy as hell and would hardly even get up to go do anything and was trying to get us to pick up his trash like he didn't say that on the show but afterwards <laughs> listen and, it, and it's like that i think you know you can you can really kind of get an insight on you know people's character because i'm you know as much as we on the carpet some people look at you as the help Right. And mind yeah. you, being a hospitality major, you know, like I, I am of service and that that's part of me. And I like that. But yeah, I, you're I, there for them. But it's not like to to blow your nose and wipe your ass. Get it. Get your shit exactly. together. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, I'm, I'm clear on how I think I'm more clear than maybe the average person on the mannerisms and tone of voice and interaction when somebody understands and, and is there and supports you being me like as the person of service. 
or if they have the expectation of, oh, you're here to be of service, you know, like there's there's a difference. Yeah. And don't look me right in my eyes. <laughs> all that. Yeah. Yeah. I can't yeah. I can say that the majority, I would say over 90% of my experiences on red carpets with people of stature, celebrity, all that, they have overwhelmingly been very positive. And the ones that have been a little turbulent, well, you know, we were able to navigate those as well. So <laughs> Have you had any that were just like so bad where you're like, there's nothing to salvage from this. We're just going to have to trash this one and use something else. No, nope, no, nope, It's never been that serious. Nope. Because okay. at the end of the day, like, you know, so you haven't had somebody like put their hand on your face and like just push you out of the way or anything like that. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine. No, <laughs> but then, but I will say like, I've, I've had to get over some of my own imposter syndrome because you know, like I know what I'm here oh, to do. Yeah. I'm hosting, you know, like I have camera, you know, whatever. And Especially in any creative field where there's not a clear way to like gauge, like I'm better than 80% of the other accountants in this firm. Like, you know, it's, it's all just, it's all, am I being my best? And most creative people want to strive for better all the time. So like, no, I never did good enough. I never asked the right questions or, you know, whatever the, the thing was for, for me personally, I'm not talking about you, but I'll always yeah. think of, oh, I should have, I should have edited that differently or I should have ask this question or I should have not talked so long about that. You do, you do struggle with that. You kind of go back and forth. And part of my inner struggle has been to say more positive things to myself and, you know, yeah. just understand you're doing you the best. Force that got. sometimes. And, he, yeah. and then quiet the voice down. And you're like, I'm good at this. I'm smart. I'm creative. I can do this. No, you can't you piece of shit. Shut up. Verbatim internal dialogue, right? Yes. Yeah. And you have to come back and be like, yes, you are great. You are great. You're going to keep going, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and un- unexpected kind of like positive feedback from, you know, celebrities. Like every once in a while, a celebrity will drop like a real nice, like a, a genuine nice comment on me that, you know. Yeah. When you were, oh, God. I can't remember the actress's name, but um, she played the the mother of one of the, the kids in uh and when they say this, and you ask her a question, she goes, oh, wow, that's a really great question. And when I, I looked at you after she said that, and I was like, if that was me, I would have been like. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's a win. And they'd be like, because sometimes folks, no, 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 no. Let me tell you how much of a win that is. I've been on red carpets where I'll ask a question and the celebrity will not answer. They'll be like, well, They'll just deflate and be like. <sighs> yeah. They'll be like, Ugh. Or they'd be like, the question should be, and then they'll answer the question they want to answer versus the question that you yeah. asked, right? So for somebody to be like, oh, that's a good question, and then go into it, it's such a win. It's a win. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. I tried to start a uh, uh, a collection of anytime someone's like, oh, that's a good question. But I got like two, three of them collected, and I was like, this just feels like I'm patting myself on the back. So I stopped it. I was going to try to weave it into my introduction. But the way the whole thing I wanted to do it was have like three or four people be like, wow, that's a good question. And then had one where one guy like was like, yeah, I get that question all the time and have it line it up and then like record scratch with that. But I had gotten rid of that file. It was one of the earlier episodes. I, know, like I wasn't that. saving all my files yet. I support it. If you end up using that for this or any other segment, I support it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing about creative stuff. When it's something like this and I'm like, I'm the host of this show and I make this happen it's easy to feel like how much self-congratulatory behavior is necessary. You know what I mean? It's not about me. It's about the show and the theme of the show and the guests on the show. And True. But marketing says that you have to explain <laughs> and let people know why yeah. you're great. Yeah. And that's something, 
that's something that I've been trying to work on. Like how long have I been doing this now? A little over a year since like March of last year. Um, I feel like maybe just in the last four or five months, I've gotten comfortable being like, Oh, I'm going to insert a personal story here and tell you something about me to give you something to bounce it back off of. And to be a little bit more like put a little bit more of myself, like my real self into the show rather than just, hello, I'm the host and I'm going to ask you this. I think that's excellent. And I think that's you, you know, loosening up, getting more into your craft and fighting yeah. that imposter syndrome. Yes, Chris, let's go. Well, the, the downloads keep creeping up in the right direction. So that's good. Hey, consistency, going in the right consistency. direction. All that's love. Yes, consistency. And that's the big thing I would say too, that I don't know, uh, <clears throat> you might say the same thing. If you do something and you don't get the results you want right away, keep doing it because very few people just make a big splash right away. I had to, I had to have a blog for like a year before I got, you know, 40 followers and now it's over a hundred followers, something like that. You know what I mean? The, the social media stuff that all grew very, not that I have a big one now, but you know, starting trying to just get organic follows from zero to get from zero to 400 or something like that. What am I now? It, very slow, but you know, gradual. And if you just keep doing it, it gets turns into something to where you eventually somebody goes, Hey, I follow you on social media when you're walking down the street. And I'm like, Holy shit. <laughs> and I called like five people. I was like, dude, I just got recognized. Yes. Yes. Praise God for those moments. Those, those little those are fun. Yeah. Like, no, you're doing the right thing. Yes. Yeah, that I'm not just throwing this all into a vacuum that somebody, because when you do a podcast too, you can, uh, somebody clicks on it and listens to the first two seconds, that's a download. You don't know if they listen to the whole thing or not. So mm. yeah, trying to get feedback on a, on a podcast can be difficult sometimes. Yes, but you're doing it. And look, and you, have, hey. you have proof that it's, it's working out for people. So that's <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. So on that note, what would... Uh, when did you feel like things really started to happen for you in that media world? Like how long from the point where you're like, okay, I'm going to start teaching myself this to the point where you're like, oh shit, I've got a paying job. Like how much time went by? Oh man, two years. Yeah. Yep, so that's so a fair amount of time, like having some self-doubt and being like, no, I'm just going to keep plugging away. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, like I started um, recording myself doing my show in 2016. And yeah, it was 2018 before I got the gig with the Griot and I've worked with them in different capacities, you know, ever since. Yeah. So, yeah. and then like at, in the beginning, I was still working as an educator, you know, full-time, all that. And then I knew I wanted to make the transition. And so there was a, a period in there, a couple months before I transitioned fully. Right. Yeah. So that like the top of 2018 was a trip that was turbulent for me because again I'm yeah. sitting in the unknown, the unknowing rather. Like I don't know what's gonna happen next. I put these feelers out, I put my attention in this direction, but things you know had not developed or unfolded yet. So like my my perspective there, you know, kind of to your point of it takes a while to build it up. Like sometimes you have to sit in the insecurity. Sometimes you have to sit in the dark and the unknowing and not knowing what's going on next. Because like, if I would have taken a job or went in a different direction to like have stability right then, it mm. would have blocked the moment that gave me the transition into media. Because the conference that I went to where I met uh, the, she is uh, VP of content now, uh, mm. but back then she had a different title. 
and you know she brought me in if i wouldn't have been at that event it was a daytime event usually i'd be at work during the day right so yeah. if i would have had you know like to you know honor traditional business hours at a, a steady job then it'd be a lot less likely that i've made that event and that is you know the the catalyst or you know the, the big thing that helped me transition into media and the way i in the capacity i'm in now right so yeah. you know being able that, to get over the feeling of needing to be comfortable all the time. Yeah. That, that really, um, one of my guests was a comedian named Chanel Ali who had the best album of the comedy album of the year in 2020 said NPR. And <clears throat> we were talking about, you know, how she, how she gets her content. And she said, basically it all comes down to just like living life with an attitude of yes. If somebody's like, Hey, we're going to go do this thing that you know nothing about. You want to go do it with us? Instead of being like, well, I was going to reorganize my closet this weekend. Like, no, go do that thing. See what happens. See who you meet. See what you learn. You know, just taking that attitude of like, yes, when when an opportunity comes around or a chance to do something, to learn something, to live a little bit, to just take it. But I think, uh, yeah, a lot of people would be like, oh, you know, I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess I hope, if anything, people people just get a little bit more of that attitude from talking to or listening to me talk to people like you and Chanel and all the all the other guests. Absolutely. I like that. And I like how it's phrased. I I can say that I do think I live my life that way, but I'm not sure if I've ever put it that way like an attitude of yes, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you're listening people still, we're glad you're here. <laughs> Go take charge of your life just by saying, "Yes, I can do this. Why not?" I've never done it before, but I can figure it out because one thing that somebody told me before I went to the boot camp was, um, I was, I was talking to a guy who was in the Marines, you know, like 30 years before. And I was like, man, I'm really nervous about boot camp. He's like, why lesser men than you graduate every week? I was like, Oh, Oh, oh. and that just took all the, you good? Okay. Um, and that took all the, <laughs> that took all the burden really off my shoulders. I was like, Oh man, what if I fail? He's like, you won't there's there's idiots that get through all the time you're you'll, you'll be fine and so now i try to take that attitude too like you know what a lot of people go into like for me i was like i'm leaving teaching i'm gonna go write a book maybe a lot of people want to write a book but they're just like that's not a real thing i'll work for a while and save up and then i'll write when i'm on vacation or when i get older but you know if nobody if nobody took those chances then we wouldn't have all those great books or we wouldn't have all this great music or we wouldn't have all this great digital content so books if people didn't take time to write the books right <laughs> yeah. yeah so take time to do it even if it doesn't pay dividends immediately and th the other thing i want to talk about too is you seem like a person who has a pretty healthy sense of taking risks and i mean healthy in terms of like you you enjoy taking risks um <clears throat> I, I feel like uh part of the education maybe not even the education but the culture of the education that we get was you know, make the smart decision, find where the money is going to be in something that you don't mind doing and just do that. But yeah, um, find something that you like doing and then see if, see if money maybe follows that instead of just trying to chase money. Cause I know a lot of people now that are like, yeah, I'm a doctor, but I'll tell you right now, if I could do it all over again, I'd be a carpenter. Like, Oh, okay. Make I half as much money over the course of your life. But yeah, it just, don't, don't do something for money, do something for love. And then passion will fall out of that. Like 
I had another guest too that uh, worked special effects, left a big company to start his own virtual reality company. And a lot of people are like, why would you leave? I mean, I, I think the company just got bought out by Disney. So essentially they're like, why would you leave Disney to go start your own virtual reality company? He's like, well, if this doesn't work, then I'll just have one more thing on my um, resume that shows initiative and taking chances and willing willingness to lead. And I was like, oh, yeah. You know what? When you think about it like that, just, just because you left one opportunity doesn't mean like, oh, my God, all the opportunities are gone now. Right. Look for new ones. Look for new ones. Make new ones. Yes. And I think we don't focus enough on that. We don't teach enough of that. And there's no. the energy and spirit. Because you pass or you fail and everybody is so scared of failing. But failing is part of success in the long run of anything that you do. Like you're going to edit some videos and they're not going to look that great, but you keep doing it. And eventually it gets better and it gets better. You keep exactly. hosting a podcast. Eventually you figure out how to edit it and put, put it together. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just the idea that something you're bad at something, don't let that deter you from doing it. Get better at it. Yes. Why is that so hard for people? I think, I think it goes back to we're taught, to pass and not fail. And yeah. I think it, yeah, I think it goes back to like fear. You got to get and, it right the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've messed up so many things. It's just not that big of a deal anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's okay. Let's run it back. Let's try it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's not the idea of failing upwards. It's the idea of failing until you figure out what success looks like and then doing the right thing. Yeah. Figuring out what success looks like, that that's a big thing for me. Like, that's what I look to support and help people with. And that's like a big tenet of my own journey, like figuring out what my personal success is and being focused on following that versus yeah. what society or family or any kind of like group pressures have to say. Like, what does your internal voice say? What is the the thing, the person, the passion inside you, the drive that exists within? Like, have you connected with that recently? And even though it may seem outlandish, like, I need you to understand, 17-year-old me, I'd be so excited if I were to be able to tell 17-year-old me, like, this is what you do now. Like, yeah. I live in New York City, I live alone, and I like what I do, and I have a blonde mohawk. You couldn't have told me. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> no, it's not my reality back then like you know in in being a part of the creative process and really understanding that i am a creative we are all creators right we get to mm -hmm. really create and tell our own story like i wasn't satisfied with a lot of my story back then and so i made some changes in it now looking back the story that i've created and what i continue to produce and create i like my story like Everybody kind of has a come to Jesus moment in quarantine, right? You know, spending time alone. And what does that look like? And do I like my life? And like these questions kind of like arise when you get oh, yeah. that, you know, deeper sense of me time. And there's the existential moment for the entire population. Yeah. There's no entertainment to fill this. There's no basketball to go game to go to. There's no bar to sit up at. Right. It's me, me and me. Right. Right here in the mirror. And a lot of people in their experience and like catching up, you know, talking about like what their, you know, COVID experience has been like, you know, a lot of it has been, oh, I decided like, I don't really like what I'm doing or I, you know, could explore other things. Yeah. Let me tell you something, Chris, 
my COVID conversations have been very positive. <laughs> my personal self-to-self COVID conversations were like, yeah, we struggled with that a couple of years ago and it's crazy right now, but we still like what we do. It's like, oh yeah, we yeah. messed it up back in the day, but like, uh, we, we walking in the right path, right? Like my COVID <laughs> conversations haven't been like melancholy and, oh, what is my life about? I did that 10 years ago. Feel me? Like, Yeah. Yeah, no, I, it was a lot the same for me too. Cause I remember before I started the podcast in particular, um, I'm not from this area. I've had kids ever since I lived in this area. So I don't have the social life that I did when I was younger and more free. And, you know, I'm a very social person. So this podcast for me has been not only a social outlet, but I was also very frustrated by just like the lack of creative people I knew. And like, you know, I didn't feel like I had like a strong creative community of people. And that's completely couldn't be further from the truth now. And I, I think it's the first episode of this podcast came out like a week before they shut everything down. Mm. So like this podcast started right at the same time as the pandemic. And uh, yeah, I probably would be like 80 pounds heavier and very depressed if I, if I didn't have it right now. Mm. <laughs> look at that. But look at that timing. I love that. I mm. love that about the story of the origin of this because it's so impactful. Right. Yeah. Like I like that it's been a, a personal journey for you as the host because you're the you're a facilitator, you're the curator of this, right? So like how yeah, you yeah. feel your stories really do matter. They kind of shape this. So I I'm really excited that the timing has worked out for you to at least got started, right? Pandemic hits, you have this outlet and Listen, your guests, show enough, can't talk about they ain't got the time, right? Like, we in the house, we, we don't. This, is, what, this that, is how we talk now, right? So I didn't think about that, but yeah, there's really no uh, no excuses. Well, now no there is. Excuse. People are getting back out into real life now, but yeah. But yeah, when I was asking people, like, hey, you want to be on a podcast that there's only been like three episodes of? They're like, not really, but I have nothing else to do. So, yes. And there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it all worked out. And I'm not teaching anymore, too, which. I liked teaching. I taught middle school English, but uh, man, I feel for the teachers that taught through the pandemic and did the some of the time at school, some of the time at home and trying to do things through the computer with kids. I'm glad I didn't have to do that, but I'm glad that there were people that were <laughs> fully committed to doing it. God bless teachers. God bless them. Yes. Cause I'm, I'm thinking about my experience of education. I don't know what that would look like during COVID. So even that weird. Like, yeah. My, my oldest kid lost her senior year of high school. She was a um, a standout athlete and mm. just lost it all senior year. Just gone. Mm. But the bright side is, you know, the silver lining is like there's there's something else for her. Like it's, I oh, wouldn't yeah. call it loss. I would say just a different trajectory, just a different place now. It's a different path. Yeah. Well, she's always been very artistic as well. She, uh, she scored the most goals on the soccer team and then was also her senior year and then also voted um, the most artistic student. Ooh. So she's she's that rare blend of like can beat you up and can paint you a picture. <laughs> that's right. Like, that's my daughter. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, she's she's getting just deeper and deeper into her art, too. Sometimes I sometimes I put her uh, art on my Instagram stories and I just don't tell anybody who it is dad show off the baby's work oh yeah it's good and i'll be like hey i put your stuff on my stories she's like why do you do that i was like because it's good and more people should see it that's right and building up that support in her girls need that we need that so i love that yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a girl dad and I enjoy it. I'm also a boy dad too, but being a girl dad's fun. It's different because boys, you can be like, hey, and they're like, what? <laughs> but you know, if right. you try that with, you with a little girl, you're like, it. hey, and they're like, oh. they just start crying. You're like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's, let's play tea party. All right. <laughs> Break out the tea sets. Yeah, yes. it got me in touch with a whole different side of myself. I like that. And we, yeah. we need the balance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Being around girls, young girls, raising them, totally chilled me out. Being around the boys kind of brought my insanity back out, but it's it's leveled out to where I don't think we're a danger to each other. <laughs> Yeah. I like yeah. being in the yang. That's what the balance is. Absolutely. Yeah. It is kind of nice, though, to be able to be like, hey, what are you doing at a kid and then like not collapse emotionally? <laughs> <laughs> it feels good to yell at my boys. I'm just going to say that right now. I don't hit them, but I'll yell at them sometimes. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, oh, I wanted to ask you, too. Are you going to do any uh yoga content online because one thing i've thought about since we talked last time was when you type in yoga videos on youtube you'll get about 800 videos of white women occasionally somebody who doesn't match that specific description but like there's not a lot of diversity and inclusion in yoga on on youtube you want to take a class you want to do an online class that's what you're trying to say you I'll wanna, take uh, yeah. I'll do some <laughs> I'll do some flakes like frosted yoga. That's right. That's right. Um my my yoga, my wellness service rather is entitled Om in the City and that is it's meant to communicate om which is O M not H O M E cuz that kind of sounded like you were saying home in the city. But yeah. You're, you're, you're right. O M yeah. right. And so om is a it's a collective vibration. Um, it is a chant, right? And it can mean wisdom or roughly translate to mean peace. And the city, I use that as a term to the chaos, right? Because especially in a place like New York City, it's a lot going on. Okay. So the idea of Om in the city is bringing that peace, that light, that wisdom to the chaos of the city. So that's what we seek to do with our pop-up wellness service. And yeah, like I have some online content that, is wellness um, driven. However, mm. right now I am currently developing a segment that is uh, specific to not just yoga, but I want to I want to help people live better daily, right? Mm. And so, what this segment, the goal behind it, is to show like different ways of coping with daily things that are the opposite of wellness, things like stress, anxiety, things like imposter syndrome, things that like may hold us back, right? Mm -hmm. I'm looking to bring the wellness element to the segment. So, you know, offering like real time, you know, real life perspective and like tools on how to be better in these particular areas, right? Whether that be um, journaling or a yoga pose or a particular practice or a kind of chant, you know, whatever the scenario is we're going to offer the the converse to it 
in a digital segment. So it's like easy to share and you kind of get that, you know, that reminder, that that freshen up, that perk up on, you know, I can I can live well. I can do it like this versus mm. having to sit in something that doesn't resemble my wellness. Mm, yeah. Just so now that made me. That. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> I'm going to stay tuned soon. for that. Mm-hmm. One thing that one thing that I'll say that helps might help creative people is have a clean workspace because when you're thinking what my wellness looks like, I remember one time talking to a therapist and he was like, is your workspace clean? I was like, mm. he's like, that's probably a no. Clean your workspace because you'll just you'll feel better mentally if you're not like notes under here and stuff over here and garbage over here. So I don't know why I felt compelled to say that. But yeah, what wellness looks like when one tip of what wellness looks like is not super cluttered workplaces. I, listen, that's part of the segment. Yes. I know why you felt inclined. The spirit was like, drop that gym right now. Like, that's excellent. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. So what 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 does that mean, a pop-up wellness service? Like, you'll just show up at a certain street corner and be like, hey, we're going to tell you how to do stuff better. Yes. That's a great question. Uh, what is pop-up wellness? Ooh. So um, it exists in two kind of capacities, right? Uh, we like to offer consistent services and we use the term pop-up because we are programming for existing programs. What that means is we offer classes like arts and crafts and yoga uh, more prominently to after-school programs, to summer camps, Mm -hmm. to nonprofits, to senior centers. So we pop up in your location, right? Like we're not a physical studio. We're more so an energy of light and wellness that uh, we carry. You might see being done at like a boys and girls or a YMCA or something like that. Yep. We carry that to the facilities that we service, right? So in, um, in contracts like that, we like to offer ongoing services, which means like we might do um, a six-week summer camp, or we might do a 17-week semester for an after-school program where we'll offer mm-hmm. like one class a week for that population. Also, so that's like one way we pop up, right? Mm-hmm. Also, we offer things like corporate wellness, where um, a organization might have a wellness day. And for the wellness day, it might be indoors, outdoors, whatever. They might have a segment where they want to do some yoga right? This is usually how we pop up anyway. Um, They'll have Mm -hmm. like a whole day dedicated to wellness for the staff and it'll have, you know, different vendors that offer different things like massages, things like that. And we're like the yoga part. And so Mm -hmm. when we pop up there, we pop up for, this is not ongoing and continuous. It's like a one-time session with them and the client might, you know, they might need this like once or twice a year. Right. And so um, we'll pop up at the location and bring our yoga mats, the instructor, the music, whatever other materials. And we'll do a live session right there with the um, students, with the class um, in that moment. And, you know, we'll have our session, give a talk back afterward and hopefully leave the space better than how we found it. That's our goal. Hmm. All right. I want to talk to you um, about your jewelry design too, because these earrings are fantastic. If my ear holes weren't closed off, then I would get them for myself. Get Listen, gold, they're clip-on, Get honey. gold jewels. They're clip-on. <laughs> 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 well, there you go. I got no excuse now. Get bold <laughs> jewels. When did you start making earrings? And is it, it's not just earrings or it, it it is just earrings. It is earrings. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when did you get into the earring game? 
So let me recall, because it's been a while. I, like I was saying a little while before, I didn't go into all the different businesses that I've started because there have been a few. Um, Before making the, the, this type of jewelry, I make candy jewelry, right? I had this idea. I was like, I'm about to make fashion candy jewelry, right? And it was So like those old necklaces that you used to bite off, but like actually looked good. Exactly. See, you ah. see how I, that's why that's why I know you're creative because I said that to people, they'd be like, What are you talking about? But I told you like <laughs> one thing, I'm like, oh yeah, that, this is it. And I'm like, yeah. Um Fair so moment. I started, yeah. I started my my jewelry making journey there, and that was 2015. Um, and yeah, it's me and YouTube. I like I have the utensils and I was making like uh, mostly necklaces and bracelets, right? But they were like fashionable, but like candy. But like mm-hmm. I, I didn't make them for people to eat. I made them for people to wear, right? Mm-hmm. Just putting that out there. Um, did you put it, like a coating on it so that it like didn't like melt or anything? Like okay, I did. Yeah, like a shellac. Over okay, it. so you you absolutely should not eat those. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> in the in the future, like I'm not. Any idea I've had in the past that I've had to like put on the back burner, I'm not like completely done with it. It's just that my dreams have to have priority, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not completely done with that. I I think and I some ideas I, just to get to the front of the line, whether you want them to or not. Exactly. So we'll uh, reinvestigate that when it's time to. Mm-hmm. However, from that, you know, it got me into like the whole like world of jewelry making, and so. Mm-hmm. You know, like that was just like my my first foot in the door. So then I said, I want to make like just earrings. Like it, it seemed like it was too big of a concept for whatever audience I was trying to sell to that this is candy jewelry that you can't eat. Like it, it just yeah. wasn't, it wasn't computing, right? So I was <laughs> right. like, well, um, I still like making jewelry and earrings have always, I shouldn't say always, earrings in my adult life have more so been my things. I was big on necklaces, I think, and maybe bracelets. I, I wore a lot of bangles. I think necklaces as a kid, bangles in like my early part of my young adult life. And now mm-hmm. my my main bay are my earrings. So yeah. uh, the reason why is because my grandmother, God rest her, she passed during COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is... From, did she have COVID or was it not related? No. No, well, oh. my, I have my suspicions that it it potentially could be COVID related, but that's not what the reports say. So... Okay. Either way, you know, my. Yeah, sorry to hear about your grandmother. Family. Uh oh. On back. And pandemic has been like a, a real big shift for me, my family, right? But to speak on some of her lasting impact, so my grandmother uh, was like flyer than fly. I'm talking dressed down. I'm talking like, don't let it be Sunday. She's laid. Okay. I'm talking about hair laid, hat, match the watch, match the yeah. earrings, match the shoes, everything. Right. Grandma's always, always super fly. Uh, yeah. And she had costume jewelry for days. And it's, this must've been either, when I'm in college or graduating college, instead of doing like a, a large present, like how grandparents like to do, she transitioned mm-hmm. into doing all that to she would collect her old jewelry and give that to me and my sister. And we would have to 
it would be a thing. She would make sure it was fair, right? And she would divide it yeah. amongst us. <laughs> and, you know, everything got to be fair, right? Like, everybody got to get their fair share, right? And um, Mom. That was, yeah, like, <laughs> where is mine? Um, <laughs> so, you know, you you have siblings, right? You get it. Like, you can't have yeah. more than I have one sister. So we didn't we didn't argue over jewelry and stuff, but there was plenty of other stuff. Right. So um, we would that's what we would do for Christmas. And me and my sister would so look forward to it. Like there I can't think of a better present in life than my grandmother's jewelry. Right. Like as far as material <laughs> things, that's that's what I want. Uh, we got in that tradition of her getting her um, her earrings and just all, her belts, hats, like it just everything fly. And it definitely has had an impact on like my overall view of fashion i think i have a like a eclectic kind of vintage style because i like to wear a lot of her old pieces right so making jewelry the candy jewelry that didn't really uh it didn't really like leave the nest how i would have wanted because the concept was beyond it's too much of a tease you can't give americans candy and not let them eat it yeah yeah so <laughs> yeah between that and then having this background you know of my grandmother giving us her stuff it was like okay what can i do with this and so the name get bold, right? So get bold is something my grandma used to say to my sister because I would always pick out all the big gaudy earrings that drip down the hair and necklaces that weigh 10 pounds looking like rapper chains and stuff like that. Like that's the kind of stuff I like, right? <laughs> Whereas my sister is more like, you know, she's more logical. She wants something that's practical. She wants it hmm. to be more dainty. Like her style is just a little bit different than mine. And my grandmother like was kind of over it she was like get bold pick out this necklace like be seen like make sure you have something that is a showstopper on your neck too right so my grandma would say stuff to my sister like get bold and we would laugh about it and so that's where the name get bold comes from and so okay i want to think in 2017 and then i started like you know, look for acrylic beads and like, you know, different things that would reflect the earrings that my grandmother would give us. And so from there, you know, I found some some shops in New York that had a couple things so between that and, you know, finding the earring backs and, you know, different things. I just started like playing around and making some of my own designs. And then I started, you know, putting them on my ears and wearing them myself. And I got, you know, I get compliments all the time for the earrings that I wear. I'd be like, I have to whisper, I have to lean close, especially for men, like more than ever, like usually earrings and accessories are something that a, a girl would like notice or pick up or say something. I'm not going to say, you know, women don't notice them and, and compliment yeah. me there too. And saw the ladies, <laughs> but I specifically noticed that like, men stop me and say like, oh, I like your, specifically your earrings. And these are things that I designed. So it, it kind of, it helps me with my own struggles against imposter syndrome because somebody who just sees me walking down the street. He doesn't know me from a can of paint. Compliment something that I yeah. like, kind of put my heart into, and that you know that'll kind of boost your self confidence a little bit, right? Mm. Um, yeah, not yeah. because of actual earrings, because you know it's something that I made. So yeah, like I that yeah, should that should be one of the points that you uh, market that on is that the these are the earrings that will get the guys to notice. Yeah. Okay, listen, they are conversation starters. Let me tell you. Um, so yeah, it's probably started actually like making them in yeah probably like 17 and i wore i just wore them like one-offs i just would wear, wear the one-offs that i made myself for years it wasn't until yeah. 
2019, right before the pandemic, that I had a launch, right? So my birthday's in November, um, the first week in November. So like the second week in November in 2019, I had a launch where I like made multiple sets. This is my first time like mass producing. I made maybe like 10 or 12 sets of each pair of this line. And, you know, I had a party and that was like my intro into like putting them out to the world as far as like them being um, available for purchase. But then, you know, COVID happened. And so I had to, you know, like rearrange some priorities. However, you know, the website's still up. People still, you know, purchase them. I have, you know, I've had a few scenarios where I'll be at an event or out at a restaurant and a woman will buy them off my ears. And that always will uh, kind of put some <laughs> put some light into the night, right? Like I'll sell them right off my ears and be like, this is how much they cost. They can cash at me, put the cash in my hand. Like I've had a couple experiences like that. And so, you know, that always is like a, a positive thing. You know, you have a product that people want where they're ready to take it from you right now. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Um, well, some of the things that we talked about with <clears throat> your like planning digital content, do you have any advice for people who are where you were when you were like, you know, learning to do it all yourself and, you know, just, just trying to get set up and make a, a digital presence for themselves? Do you have kind of a, you know, a couple sentences or even like a, a whole starter package of like, you need to get this and this and this? Excellent question. Uh, yes. <laughs> so when I first got started, I was just so beyond myself. I just felt like I jumped into a hole. And anytime I felt like I got something done, a new door opened and it was like a whole nother level and layer of things that I didn't know. Right. Mm, yeah. And I, in putting together my first show where it was just me and my cell phone, something that I kind of struggled with was like, I have these ideas and I'm not 100% sure. Like I'm not feeling as if they're really being translated or being communicated like through the screen. Right. Mm. And what I'm grateful to testify on now is that that's literally what I do now. Right. Like I, the, the slogan for Visionscape Productions, which is my digital video production firm is that we turn vibes into video. So I've been able to, you know, take what I needed and become that. So now I'm able to offer that to other people. So to answer your question, some uh, words of perspective that I can give for any content creator, whether you're young and aspiring and just looking to get in now and get your feet wet, or if you've done this for a while and you're looking to, you know, kind of excel and take your content to the next level. What I'll say is, First, have a real clear understanding of like what you're looking to communicate, because, you know, as creatives, it's often that we'll have 10 different ideas that we're looking to make into one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Right>? yeah. <For laughs> sure. um, I do it, you know, like I, it's not like I'm not a victim of this, too. Um, so what I'll first say is I'm not saying that all those ideas cannot be incorporated because that's what I like to do with uh the consulting side of my firm, right? We find mm -hmm. ways to work in the things that you're most passionate about. But like, that's with some expert advice. I'm talking to the people who are just starting out or doing it on their own, right? Those 10 things that you're trying to do, get a focus. Focus somewhere first, right? And then from there, you know, um, have a real like meeting, even if it's with yourself, have a real meeting. 
and lay out exactly what you want to do. Like what I call it, I call it a segment sandwich, but it's like the run of show things that you're going to hit, right? Like have a real organized system of what it looks like. Take the ideas that are in your head that are kind of jumbled around that only you understand, even if you understand them really well, lay Mm. it out because, and this is for the intro people and if you want to grow, right? Mm-hmm. People cannot read your mind, literally. Yeah. You know, they can try and they can get real. It's some clairvoyant folks out here. Don't get me wrong. But like <laughs> uh, laying laying things out in a way that people outside of your head can understand is only going to help you. Right. Yeah, self-expression is hard enough. But when you're trying to clearly get something into somebody else's brain, it's a it's a whole other thing. Yes. Yeah. So you know, focusing at least in the beginning on the major, the singular or small group of major ideas and what you're communicate, looking to communicate. That's one. Having a clear plan, like laying it out, even if it's only you that's shooting, editing, directing, like how how I was in the beginning, right? I did mm. not do this and this would have helped me, right? Um, laying, laying that out. And if you have to, you know, um, say your show isn't just talking heads, say it's like an interview kind of situation, any kind of scenario where you're going to be involving other people outside of yourself, then the organization has another layer. Have an organized system of how you reach out and coordinate the person or people that are going to be working with you, right? Mm. And then don't be afraid to put out your show. Like we talked about this a little bit earlier, but this is like the the how to put it in practice part of that. Like Mm -hmm. if you want to do it, don't start and stop. I'm talking about like a, a individual, like the beginning of your segment. Don't like yeah. wait until it's perfect to put it out. Make what you're going to make and make the whole thing. Even if you don't like it, even if you end up not putting it out, make it. And yeah. then once you do that, this is the real, if you didn't hear anything else I said, this is the real gem right here, right here. You ready? Mm-hmm. We talked, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but I'm going I'm to put it again. If there's a sound effect, like a dun-dun, like this is this is where they hit it, right? Okay, I got Once it. You yep. all that. Or even if you don't do none of it, this is the key right here. And anybody else who's in the digital game, they will agree with me. If not, I'm not sure what kind of time they're on. This is the game <laughs> right here. Be consistent. Yeah. Put it out. Like if, if you say you're going to do something once a week, like make sure it goes out and it might not be forever. It might be this once a week for three months. It might be like this for a year out. Like you might want to do an ongoing and continuous. But my thing is like, we, again, we touched on this a little bit before, but this is the double down on the reasoning why, like we are in this digital era in life and the digital understanding is not the same as like a regular social interaction. When I say that, I mean, like, if we're having this conversation, me and you right now, and we're in a group of uh, maybe 500 in the audience, we're getting Mm. the feedback instantly. Yeah. If there's a joke, they're laughing right now. If there's a question, they're asking in this moment, right? Mm -hmm. The way the digital landscape works, it's just not that way. We still have those uh, features, but we don't have the real-time response, right? Yeah. So, you know, the feedback that you want to get, the laughs, the comments, the um, the growth that yeah. doesn't just happen, you know, automatically. It comes from consistency, really deciding who your audience is and having targeted messaging for them. 
right? Like yeah. that's kind of like gem, but like getting it right and figuring it out for yourself and for them, it might not be a one a one and done thing. It might not be a one season and done thing, right? Like that's something that's ongoing and continuous. So mm. um, what, I'll, what I'll say to, to wrap it all up in a bow, right, is let the things that you're focusing on, let, let them be your passions, period. Like kind of how we spoke on a little bit earlier, because when you're passionate about it, when it gets tough, you're going to keep doing it. If it's only mm. for the money or if you're kind of like, mm, feel what, like whatever about it, then when it gets tough, you're be like, this is whack and move on to the next. Your goal, yeah. again, is the gem. Consistency to help you as a creative with your own availability to be able to be consistent. What you're focusing on needs to be something you're passionate about. So you create the space for you to be able to be consistent. And then yeah. no matter what it is, like the first time around, go ahead and just cut the whole thing and hopefully put it out. If it's like too rough that you don't want to put out again, consistency, keep doing it until you get to a point where you're ready and feel comfortable putting it out. And then once you do set, if you don't want to stay ongoing and continuous forever, at least set a time frame. Mm. They're going to be consistent and hell or high water. Make sure you do that so you can fulfill that to yourself and to the audience that you're creating. And what that does is start to build momentum in the right direction. Personally, it helps you with your own imposter syndrome. If that's something that you suffer from because you're, you know, seeing and proving to yourself that you're able to do it, which, you know, will calm those voices inside. And then to your audience and just the law of attraction in general, you, you know, putting out things that are um, that are what you want to return back to you, right? Like mm. build that momentum in the right direction and you'll surprise yourself and all the growth in places that you'll go. Even if it doesn't look like, even if you don't hit like every measurement or goal, getting started and having something to work with is much better than always staying in the ideation process. If you're always yeah. like, oh, I want to, I want it to look like this and it should be that way. And I'm designing it like this again, plan it out, but set an execution date and get it out there. So you can like look at actual numbers versus what you and want. And it's easy to, to get stuck in that way of thinking and then just never yes. fucking do it. Yes. So the, the real answer to your question is to sum up in one word is consistency. But then mm. we went, you know, through some some different perspectives, some steps on how to like, you know, get that internally and externally. Yeah. Well said. Is there anything else that you want to talk about that I did not bring up? I want to just extend my gratitude for being able to share this moment, this space with you, uh, yeah. for you know being a featured guest to be able to talk about creativity and some of the things that I love and that I'm into, and you know I really hope that anybody listening, anybody watching, anybody who uh, feels called or compelled to create in their own way um, can take this information and you know really let it be a source of inspiration. And beyond inspiration, empowerment, encouragement to act and do, right? Yes. I don't want you to stay inspired. I want, I want this to, you know, change your behavioral patterns. I want this to, you know, add another bullet point of things you're going to get done today because this is a part of what your large dreams, you know, uh, pertain to, right? Like, I'm, again, I'm grateful. What I want to share is I'm grateful for this platform. 
I, you know, hope to connect with, you know, anybody who wants to connect on any of the things that we talked about today. But regardless of anything else, what I do want to express is that we are all creative beings. Our bare hands are made to create. And, you know, I hope that anybody who is struggling or wants to do more in their personal creative process can take this or any other kind of platform or inspiration and really change the trajectory of their life by following their inner being and, you know, doing things that are in alignment with their calling and their personal purpose that the the big creator puts within us. So that's, Mm. that's my two cents. Awesome. All right. Last thing then, uh, Tell people where they can find you, and I'll make sure that all of it gets put up in the show notes, too. So if you're listening, you go, wait a minute, she said that too fast. It's in the show notes. Calm down. Yes. You can find me at www.alexisflakes.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Flakes Like Frosted. My handle is that way because I am from Midwest. I speak quickly. And people uh, mistake my last name for Slakes, Bakes, and everything else. So I remind flex, them. Flex, flex. Yeah. I sang Flakes <laughs> like Frosted, like as in Frosted Flakes. And yeah. no, I am not flaky. I am great. Like Tony. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the first time you said that, is it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, gotta remind the folks. Let them know. No, it's not uh, Flakes like Flaky. This is great. Like, yeah. like Tony. That's what this is. <laughs> That's good branding and it's consistent. That's the big one. And I'll say that I'll just knock that one too. My, uh, my downloads started going up at a higher level when I moved from doing one kind of like every two or three weeks to every two weeks. And then again to every week. So when people know something is going to be there, they're a lot more likely to invest in it. Ooh. So you're proving my point of consistency. Praise God. Uh, Yep. And then on that note, man, let me know through Instagram sometime. Next time you're going to be in Okemos, like if you're around for the, the, the winter holidays, I'll drop by when I'm at my parents' house say hi, because I haven't seen your mom in a long time. Jeez. Well, it's probably yeah. since the last time I saw you and you were like 12 or 13, you're like, how can they get to watch TV? Why do I got to leave, man? <laughs> <laughs> no, I that was exactly it. Like that, that was the source of a lot of arguments. Like, why do you get the remote? Like, yeah. why? that i need to have some say in this too right so little sister problems Mm -hmm. yeah well yeah um good luck to you in everything that you've got going out there and uh hopefully one of these days we bump into each other uh back in chieftain country that's right are we still chieftains is ogama still chieftain oh geez yeah i don't know they might have just gone to the chiefs and gotten rid of all uh native american identifying logos i'm not sure it's not cute to have Native Americans as mascots anymore. So now I don't know how they're going to do that. Yeah. The whole town is named after a Native American. That that just puts them in a pickle. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how to politically correct your way out of that, but God bless them. I hope they figure it out. <laughs> All the best of luck to you, uh, city of Okemos, which I found out isn't even a city now. It's not. It's, it's never it's been a city. A, it's a school district within Meridian Township. Yes. It's like a, it's a zip code, right? Yeah. Or, Same yeah, thing like as Hazlitt. Hazlitt and Okemos both don't technically exist. They're just school districts within yeah. a township. Yep. Within, <laughs> yep. Yep. Within Meridian Town. Meridian Township, yeah. the actual city. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you look at our police cars, they all say Meridian Township on them. Well, ours, yep. theirs. Used to be ours yep. collectively. 
used to be ours. Back I'm just, day. I'm just, I'm just mumbling into, into, into nothing now. So it's probably a good time to get out of here. Yeah. Well, again, Chris, I appreciate you for this platform. Thank you so much for a riveting conversation. And yeah, I thanks for coming on. You were a fantastic guest. I've, I, I've been having fun this entire time and I'm excited for people to hear it. I'm bummed that it's not going to come out for like another week and a half, but it'll be good. It will be good. All right, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You have a, you have a wonderful rest of the week. Oh, I will. Thank you for the permission. You as well. All right. <laughs> Take care. Yep. Bye-bye. Thank you so much to Alexis Flakes. Check her out again at Flakes Like Frosted, www.alexisflakes.com, or check the show notes. Thank you all for coming and checking out the show. I know there's a million other podcasts out there you could be listening to, and I thank you for choosing this one. Love you guys. And remember. This is what you want to do. Spend your time doing that and just that. (laughs) 